Have you ever started a project and as you get through that project, it becomes much more difficult than you had initially imagined? In many ways, we bump into these projects all the time, but I remember in particular one that I encountered in, uh, just a few years ago that I was looking at the kitchen cabinets in my parents' home and I decided it would be nice if we stained them a different color, maybe a little bit darker. And so I started about the work, that I took the cabinets down, I started to take them apart, and then I started to go through the work of stripping them off and then refinishing them, staining them, and then varnishing them again. But as I went on, things became much more difficult than I thought. Because to start off, to strip off the old varnish, the varnish had been there for decades, and it wasn't going away without a fight. And then whenever it came time to stain the cabinets, the stain would not go on evenly. That There were patches here and there that would take it better than the others. And then what's worse, when it came time to finally finish it with a varnish, that varnish was competing with the Missouri humidity and was taking so much longer than I, than I had ever anticipated. That truly, this project became something much more difficult than I could have imagined. In the Gospel this morning, we hear the disciples encountering a similar situation, that they're looking forward to life with Jesus, and all of a sudden, the reality hits them by Jesus' own words, and it becomes something much more difficult than they could have imagined. But as they encountered this message, what does it mean to be a disciple? How are they being called at that moment? How are they being strengthened, stretched, and even grown into the disciples that they were meant to be? The book of the prophet Jeremiah gives us a perspective on this this morning because we hear from him as the reluctant prophet, the one who was selected, and on the long term, he really didn't seem to enjoy his job, at least all that much. And a lot of that was due to the message that he was proclaiming. But notice this particular message, it starts off with this very potent line, You duped me, Lord, and I let myself be duped. He is aware that the Lord has asked something of him, but he feels that the Lord has been unfair. And so he's starting to challenge the Lord and in fact say that he had given him what he thought was an easy task and it has been nothing but challenges, struggles, and difficulties all the way through. That he is a mockery, that he's constantly being slandered by those that are around him and all of the Israelite nation because the message is so difficult. What's worse, that message that he gives is not one of heart, heartwarming comfort. Whenever he's going to the Israelites, he's not saying, you're doing a great job, keep up the good work. Instead, he's saying, you're doing things wrong, you're not following the Lord your God. That in fact, you are not following what he has commanded you to do. And so whenever he isn't challenging them, he's really giving them a word that cuts them to the heart. And how do they respond? Well, they start to speak poorly of him. They start to slander him to his face. And even at one point, they throw him into a cistern because they do not want to hear the word that he's speaking any longer. Truly, Jeremiah is filled with difficulty at this time. But then he decides, maybe if I just didn't speak the name of the Lord anymore, maybe if I just kept it to myself, everything would be okay. Just kind of spending my time not really doing my calling, but just simply living as I wish. But the Lord doesn't allow him that either. In fact, the Lord starts to really make that Word of God burn within him, so much so that he cannot contain it any longer. And so he finds himself at odds with the Word of God because he can't endure what the Word of God is laying upon him. So he must go forward and speak, even though it's a challenge that is cumbered with difficulty. 
We move on and we hear from St. Paul in his letter to the Romans. As we've been following it, it finally moves on to a new theme here in chapter 12. And he's speaking to the Romans. He's giving them encouragement. First, he's encouraging them to offer up their bodies as a spiritual, spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to the Lord. This is a message that is important to the Romans and the church in Rome at that time because the Romans at large were a people that were seeking only pleasure and worldly desire that they were living at the whim of whatever called their name. And so, in fact, whenever he is encouraging them to offer up their bodies as spiritual worship, he's asking them to live in a disciplined way. He's not really wanting them to live by their desires, by their passions, by the different things that might call out and try to grab their souls and their hearts, but rather he's trying to get them to offer up all of those things as well. But then he continues on, that he wants them, as they are encountering the Roman culture at that time, which is a culture that is largely filled with all sorts of things that are fast, cheap, and easy, he wants them to be not conformed to that age, but transformed by the renewal of their mind, so that they may discern what is the will of God, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Again, this is a message that's very appropriate to the church at Rome at that time because they would easily be tempted to conform to those that are around them. But he's reminding them as the church and as a people set apart by God, they are not meant to be conformed to that culture, but instead they're meant to transform themselves and transform that culture so that they may discern the will of God and also may spread that will of God over the entire landscape. Then we move on to the Gospel according to Matthew. This butts up exactly against the one that we heard last week. And if we recall back to last week, we hear Jesus asking two questions. Who do people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? The who do people say that I am, that question was answered rather easily. But who do you say that I am, that was rather difficult. But Peter was the one, by the grace of God, that came up with the right answer. That he was able to say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms this and even gives Peter an insight into his own identity. But then he continues on, because Jesus, as much as he could have left his identity there, he wants to expound upon what that means, that he is the Son of God. He starts to lay out that he is going to be handed over by the chief priests, by the elders, by the scribes, and he's going to suffer greatly, and he's going to die, and on the third day be raised. The disciples aren't quite sure what to make of this. In fact, they think it might be a failure, because they hear of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and they largely think that Jesus has gone against the grain and with them and challenged them on every way. How could it seem that they are finally going to gain victory over him? And they don't understand, and they lost sight of even that last part, that they hear that he is going to rise on the third day. They don't know what that means, and so they kind of push it and cast it to the side. And they won't really understand what it means until after the resurrection has occurred. But then he continues on, because Jesus, as he's speaking, Peter hears all of this, and he does what any of us might have considered doing for a good friend. If we heard that they were under, going to undergo a great amount of suffering or undergo death, we would say, God forbid, Lord, that any such thing would happen to you. And this is because Peter forgets who God is. And it tells us that Peter was aware that this was a divine revelation of who God was, but at the end of the day, he lost sight of that revelation. He went back to his humanity, as good as that revelation might have been. But then, as he's going forward, we see that he gives that very human response. And then, Peter, then Jesus rebukes him as well. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. 
Jesus knows very well that this is the way that a human being would think. And in fact, Peter is struggling with that very reality, and he has succumbed to what that would be, or that common perception, that he doesn't want him to undergo suffering, he doesn't want, to, want him to undergo death. And so he tries to rebuke him, but then Jesus really encounters him and says, wait just a second, you've forgotten who I am and what I'm here for. And then we see that it moves on, and Jesus really doubles down on what he's saying, because he tells them, whoever wishes to be my disciple must, be, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He sees what's underlying Peter's own objection. Because Peter might be very well aware that Jesus has always encouraged them to follow his example, to follow everything that he's modeled, and that at this moment they see that he's undergoing a life of suffering, and even death. They're not quite sure they want to go that far just yet. And so that's why Peter's rebuking him and saying, give us something easier to do. Maybe he's aware that Jesus is calling them not only to living a life that is similar to his, but a life that is very much like his. Even to the point where 10 of the 12 original apostles will die a martyr's death in a similar way that Jesus did. And Peter himself, maybe he was aware of that, and that's why he was reluctant. But Jesus encounters that doubt, and he tells them very clearly, whoever wishes to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is something difficult. It's something that was difficult for the disciples, even though they did find the grace to follow that, but is it what we understand discipleship to be today? Because, my brothers and sisters, discipleship might be billed as something that's easy, but many times it's going to be something that is difficult, something that's challenging, something that in our struggles and in the trials and tribulations of life, it's going to bring us to understand that we have to have a greater effort. Because the reality of what Jesus is saying at that point in time, he's encouraging them onward, but he's reminding them of the cost of being a true and authentic disciple. He's telling them that the cross is not just something that they're going to look at, but it's something that they're going to receive a share of as well. And it's not just Jesus' cross, it's not that physical cross, but it's a cross that's going to be similar, that it's going to be a cross of suffering, it's going to be a cross of affliction, it's going to be a cross of difficulty. He's telling them that each and every one of them are going to receive that cross. And 2,000 years later, we're not immune. That each of us are going to have trials. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have difficulties. That if we truly want to live the life of an authentic disciple, that we're going to encounter a lot of hardship in our day and our age. But think about it. It would be so easy to conform to the world. Because the world is largely not concerned with what is difficult. The world wants to throw those things back. The world wants what is fast, what is cheap, and what is easy. That it wants all of those things given to us very quickly. That it looks at the cost of the discipleship, it laughs at it, and throws it away. And it encourages us to do the same. That it even challenges us, and it is so insidious that it tells us that if we're living out discipleship, then the Lord's going to give us whatever is easy. The Lord's going to give us a better path to follow. He's going to give us one that is not filled with hardship, that is not filled with difficulty, but one that is led by just the simple facility, one that's very easy to follow, that the followers of the Lord should be treated as such. And we will be, but not right away. 
Because that's the insidious lie that the world is often throwing our way. Because it wants us to think that if we encounter hardship or difficulty for a moment or maybe for a lifetime, that we're not doing discipleship correctly or that the Lord has forsaken us, therefore we can go our own way. Or maybe even better yet, we can get angry at the Lord because he's given us such a hard way of life or he's given us such a difficult cross to carry. That we should look at him, we should point at him and say, why in the world would you do this to me? Because I'm a faithful follower. And Jeremiah did much the same thing, but notice, he was still a follower of Christ. He was still convicted. He still let the Lord permeate his heart, his being, and his soul, so much so that he realized the word of God that was there, and that the reward that would come in time. So Jeremiah didn't give up on the word of God. He knew the word he was speaking was difficult, but nonetheless he followed. So we need to carry our cross as well, but what does that mean for us? Well, carrying the cross results in a couple of primary things, and we should be aware of that. First, carrying the cross results in glory. That if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in his cross, it does not end at death, but it continues three days later in rising to glory. And that's the same for us. There is no glory without the cross, and that goes for each and every one of us as we have our own personal cross to carry. No matter the amount of difficulties, no matter the strife, no matter whatever suffering might come our way, there is no glory without carrying our cross. That's what the Lord is reminding us. But if we carry our cross, we can be led to glory. We can think of all of the sufferings in this life as a ladder that are going to take us up to the kingdom of heaven. That if we offer these things over to the Lord, and if we're faithful, then we will find our reward in time. And I dare say that's a challenge to remember, but nonetheless, it is what we truly seek, because that glory is our ultimate fulfillment. That is where we will find life to be much more easy and a burden that is much lighter if we but follow the Lord our God in his cross, yes, but also in his glory. But then the second thing that we should realize is that the cross is a way of perfection. That oftentimes we've heard that hardship builds character, and indeed that is true even when it comes in regard to our faith. That all of the afflictions in this life are not meant to make us imperfect. They're not meant to make us bitter. They're not meant to make us angry and resentful people. But rather they are there to make us soft, to make us supple, and to really make us receptive to where the Lord wants to help us out. Because we're not meant to carry the cross alone, but if we allow the Lord the grace of helping us along, then we find ourselves on the path to perfection. And that's not just in the next life, that's here and now. That's something that the Lord wants to give us. And sometimes our trials and tribulations might be very difficult. They might be hard to bear. But nonetheless, if we see the reality of what we're being given, then in fact we're going to see that we're being led on a path to perfection not just in the next life, but in this life as well. That the Lord wants to build us up, to strengthen us, to make us supple, and to make us receptive to what he's doing, so that in fact we can receive that and we can be faithful. But then the final thing that we should look at is the cross is something that is personalized to each and every one of us. That we can't look around and see that we're going to be carrying Jesus' cross in any physical way, but each and every one of us are going to have our own crosses to bear. It's going to be personalized to us, and it's going to be specific to who we are as individuals. And sometimes we start to succumb to that game of comparison. That oftentimes we can look around and we can look maybe across the, in the pew across from us. We can decide that person has a cross that's so easy to bear. How did they get that? And I have mine. 
But the thing is, so often our comparisons are inaccurate. That many times we don't see the cross that another is carrying. Or sometimes we assess them in a completely different way. And we don't know what the Lord has planned. But nonetheless, we look at St. Paul and he's encouraging not just the church in Rome, but each and every one of us to be transformed. Because we want to discern the will of God, that we want to see what that cross has in store for us. And that doesn't mean that it won't be difficult. That doesn't mean at moments there won't be suffering. Because the Lord is very aware that the cross does come with hardship. It does come with suffering. It does come with difficulty and with affliction. He's not unaware. And whenever he gives us our crosses and our sufferings and the different things in life, it's not because we've done anything wrong either. It's not because we're living the life of an ineffective disciple. And so we, because oftentimes if we think that, we're going to become very resentful because we feel that we've done everything right. Why is the Lord punishing me in this way? It's not meant to be punishment at all. It's just simply our cross. It's the way that we unite ourselves to the Lord our God. And if we allow it that grace, then in fact we can see the ways that we have personally been granted a way to conform with Jesus Christ. Because we're not conforming to society. We're transforming so that we can conform our hearts to Christ, especially as we carry our own cross. My brothers and sisters, that leads us to the application for today. Because each and every one of us, we may not be carrying a physical cross per se. Maybe we do have a physical ailment or a physical cross in some respect or some injury or some difficulty or some challenge that we're bearing. Or maybe there's many difficulties in life. Maybe there's many sufferings that we undergo, whether in our families, in our places of work, in school, or wherever we might be at this time. Maybe there's misunderstandings. Maybe there's trials and tribulations that are going on. Or maybe simply offering up our body as a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord as St. Paul is encouraged. Maybe that's also difficult as well. But nonetheless, all of these things are our personalized cross. It might be much more difficult than we could have ever imagined. But nonetheless, it's the way that we unite with the Lord our God, and it's the way that we know we will be rewarded if we are faithful in the here and the now. Because Jesus Christ didn't mince words when he said, Whoever wishes to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. My brothers and sisters, this project may seem more difficult than we could have ever imagined. It may seem unlike anything that we could have ever conceived in our minds. It's something that's very arduous, very difficult, and filled and fraught with hardship. But much like the cabinet project that day, which I did successfully complete in time, there will be a reward one day, and that will be in our glory, in our perfection, but in our unity, ultimately, with Jesus Christ himself in the kingdom of heaven. He speaks to us, whoever wishes to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. My brothers and sisters, with faith, trust, and confidence in the Lord our God, no matter the amount of difficulty, no matter the suffering that we might encounter in this life, let us be faithful. Let us take up our cross. Let's follow the Lord, deny ourselves, so that we might lose our life in this life, but we might find it in the next, in our reward, in our glory, and in unity with Jesus Christ. May we be faithful in carrying our cross.